0: Dear listeners, welcome back. It's Gareth here, here and this is the British Whisperer, a place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. On the website thebritishwhisperer.com you can find the link to the webpage with full transcript of each episode and its translation in Italian in this new episode i'm going to focus on an alternative coronation tour that explores the psyche and history of the new king from the gardens and created to the london hotel he used as a backdrop for his coming out with the new queen consort or the new queen queen camilla in the footstep of charles iii writes the new york times stating that in London alone there are plenty of royal spots to visit, royal themed exhibits to explore and coronation themed walking tours through this most inviting of cities. No royal heir in British history has awaited longer than Charles III, the King formerly known as the Prince of Wales, to ascend the throne. When he is officially crowned on May 6, Charles will be 74 years old, a full 47 years older than his mother, Elizabeth II, was at her own coronation way back into the mid-20th century. A lot has changed in the monarchy and in the monarch since the early days of the Queen's reign. Elizabeth came to the top job through accidents of history and fate. Her uncle, Edward the abdicated in 1936, disrupting the normal order of succession. Her father, George VI, succeeded him but died 16 years later at the age of 56, propelling Elizabeth onto the throne. By contrast, Charles, the oldest prince of Wales in British history to become king, was born a monarch in waiting and has had a lifetime to prepare. The public, in turn, has had a lifetime to get to know Charles, starting from his rarified childhood into the public eye. We had a ringside seat at his marriage to Diana, Princess of Wales, who died in 1987. We followed his affair with the eventual marriage to Camilla parker Bowes, And we saw his struggles with his second son, Prince Harry, in an ongoing saga that is bound to spill over into the coronation which Harry is scheduled to attend with his, aunt, his wife, Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. By tradition, heirs has the throne, Tom meddle in royal matters, but Charles was an unusually outspoken Prince of Wales. He is known as a lover of classical music, a student of philosophy and world religions, and a proponent of sometimes controversial ideas. He has often waded into debates of unexpected topics like alternative medicine and organic farming, pro, and modernist architecture, against. In London alone, there are plenty of royal spots to visit, from Kensington Palace to Westminster Abbey, for starters, royal-themed exhibits to explore, royal pal-experience at Madame Tussauds, for example, and coronation-themed walking tours through these most inviting of cities. But for visitors interested in exploring the history and psyche of the new king, here are some tops on alternative royal tour in and around the city. Let's start with Highgrove. Charles bought Highgrove House, a Georgian neoclassical estate in Gloucestershire, in 1980. Before he married Diana, he saw it as a refuge a bolt hole in which he could pursue country pleasures and contemplate the beauty of nature. She found it boring and preferred the city. More and more, it became the place where he arranged discreet twists with Camilla Parker bows. The house, reachable by pass from London or by taking a train to Campbell and then a taxi, is closed to outsiders, but the grounds are open for tours each April through October. Until the end of May, there is also an exhibition at Garrison Chapel in Chelsea, London, High Grove in Harmony, exploring a royal vision that lets you appreciate the gardens without living in the city. The exhibition demonstrates how fully the gardens embody Charles' philosophical and aesthetic preoccupations, his love of nature, his passion for tradition, his enthusiasm for artisanal crafts. There is a Winsome photo of him on his knees wedding and several never have seen before princely watercolors and sketches. Charles is said to have even personally planted much of the thyme in what is known as the Thyme Walk. The gardens consist of a number of interconnected parts and you can see photographs of them all here including the the flower dotted Wildflower Meadow which Charles envisioned as imitating the foreground in Botticelli's great painting Primavera. It's farmed using traditional methods. Scanned by hand and visited each autumn by Shropshire ship. As Charles once said, I never underestimated the value of the golden hoof in the great scheme of biodiversity. Second, Trinity College, Cambridge. When Charles was still an unhappy student in a remote Scottish boarding school, a high-level committee decreed that, in a break with tradition, he should continue his education instead of going directly into this military. Thus, he became the first Prince of Wales ever to receive a university degree. The young Prince was sent to Trinity, the richest of Cambridge University, 31 colleges. His life there was hardly normal. Isolated by temperament and position from most of the other students, Charles frequently repaired to the countryside for shooting weekends and to London for cultural and state functions. According to a contemporary report in the Times, Charles did give student life a go. He sang, acted, contributed to the university magazine, played polo against Oxford, took an evening pottery curse, and went on an archaeological dig with other students to the island of Jersey. You can visit the princely academic habitat by taking the tour, also a long-train ride from London to Cambridge. Trinity is a short cab ride into town. Founded by Henry VIII in 546 the college is impressively grand due in part to its reported 1.3 billion pounds in assets its holdings include the o2 arena in london and great spots the busy and lucrative ports of Felixstowe. Since the pandemic, Trinity's awe-inspiring interior, including the Great Court, a famous statue of Henry VIII holding a chair leg that at some point replaced his original sword, and library designed by Sir Christopher Wren and dating to 16,095, has sadly been closed to the public. But visitors can approach from the back, walking along a network of college-owned lawns across the Cum River, and peer in through the more formidable gates. There, the college porters, resplendent in bowler hats, will be happy to share royal and other tidbits. 3. <laughs> the British Library Charles, a devotee of traditional building materials and traditional building, has spent many years attacking what he sees as the scourge of modernist architecture. In 1984 he managed to offend many members of the London architectural establishment by denouncing their work in a speech to the Royal Institute of British Architects. His intervention had a knock-on effect, causing the cancellation of some of the buildings he singled out for particular scorn. Oh, some of the casualties: a planned extension to the National Gallery, which Charles compared to a monstrous carbon coal; a Mies van der hoer designed building that he called the Giant Glass Tomb; and three projects by Richard Rogers, the modern architect who died in twenty, uh, in two thousand twenty-one. Sorry, you have to give this much to the Luftwaffe, Charles said, referring to one of Mrs. Rogers' proposals. When it knocked down our buildings, it didn't replace them with anything more offensive than rubble. Oh, God. Challer's biggest bad noir was the British Library, an epic project designed by the architect Colin Sir John Wilson that cost more than 700 million and took 36 years from inception to completion and that he said looked like a dim collection of sheds groping for some symbolic significance. Oh, God. The, lib- the library opened in 1998 and was an instant hate, though most people agree that the building's pedestrian red brick exterior does a disservice to the majestic interior, with its cunning deployment of multiple levels, soaring spaces and beautiful use of light. Its centerpiece is the King's Library, a leather and vellum bound collection that rises up in a six-story glass bookcase at the building's core. The library is now a busy and vibrant cultural centre, thrumming with life. Some of its greatest treasures are displayed in its dedicated exhibition space. Asked for a recommendation on a recent visit, a library official said, Well, I quite like the Magna Carta. Ah. <laughs> How can we blame him? <laughs> Mrs St John Wilson never really recovered from all the criticism, though he was knighted in nineteen ninety eight. He died in 2007 at 85 years old. Eight years later, the library was designated as Great I listed building, British highest heritage honour. Fourth, the Ritz. London is full of Charles related locations, as you might expect. There is Clarence House, where he and soon to be crowned Queen Camilla lived for many years. There is the Hill House in West London, where he went to elementary school, and, of course, the Tower of London, where many of his family's jewels are on display. It's currently without the Imperial State Crown and Queen's Mary Crown, which are being used in the coronation, by the way. And then there is the Ritz Hotel the scene of the historic occasion when Charles and Camilla emerged from the shadows of their extramarital affair and appeared in public as a couple for the first time. All they did was leave a party and briefly stand outside. But this was the moment the independent newspaper put it at the time when 50 seconds of blinding flashbulbs ended at least 12 years of ducking and diving. The year was 1999, four years after Diana threw a grenade into the royal myth by declaring there were three of us in his marriage, meaning she, Kaz and Camilla. The couple divorced in 1996 and Diana's fatal car accident took place the following summer. The appearance at the Ritz was the beginning of Camilla's integration into Charles' public life, culminating into the couple's marriage in 2005. The Ritz is as stately as a venue for romantic coming out as it is possible to be. Situated on the corner of Green Park and Piccadilly, it evokes old-school opulence and over-the-top obsequious hospitalities. No royal visitors can eat in the Michelin-starred restaurant. Oh, the sample dinner entree at Dover (laughs) Soul is currently £68. Well, better to think about that. Or... Probably more affordable, sip Coltex at the Rivoli Bar, or take an afternoon tea for £70 a piece in the Grand Foyer. But surely, unforgettable. Well, pro tip wear something nice, get a good roll out, and leave your fanny pack at home. However, you look, you will feel frumpy compared to everyone else. Fifth, Pound Barry. Nestled at the end of Dorchester in Dorset, southwest England, Poundbury is the embodiment of the King's singular Veltanchong, a community built from scratch on 400 acres of farmland owned by the Duchy of Cornwall, the Royal Estate. With some 4,600 residents, it's a royal experiment in contemporary living meant to break the mould of conventional housing, Charles once said. Poundbury's central hub is named Queen Mother Square, after Charles' late grandmother. The main pubcam hotel is called the Duchess of Cornwall Inn after his wife. But mostly the town is an exercise in soft power royalty. The traditional building materials, the human scale architecture, the master plan by modernists eschewing Luxembourgish architect Leon Creer, the harmonious aesthetic in the prettily painted front doors, the artisanal shops, all these reflect Charles' values and philosophy. Just take the train to Dorchester's house, hop on a bus to Poundbury and disembark at the square, identifiable by the huge Queen Mother statue. Walk down the street in any direction to get to the feel of the place. Here, classy townhouses intermingle with apartment buildings and freestanding one-family homes, interspersed with squares, tiny parks and cunningly constituted courtyards and alleys that convey an air of openness and connection. There is absolutely no litter. There are few pedestrians and very little noise. Palmbury residents are zealous converts to these ways of living. Outsiders have been less enthusiastic. The town has been compared to a Potomac village, to a Brigadoon, to a field on Disneyland and to the town in the movie The Truman Show. To judge for yourself, shop at the garden centre for flowers and horticultural accoutrements. Eat at one of the quaint nearby cafes like the potting shed with its many sort of olives. Buy some artisanal bread at Finca, in a grand building known as the Buttercloss. Catch up on town gossip at the Barket Market convenience store, which doubles as the post office, or indulge in a spa treatment at Pure Beauty. Farther afield, we have some many, so you won't find Charles featured on the website of Gordonstown, the remote Scottish boarding school his father, Prince Philip, forced him to attend, and which he once referred as It in kilts, referring to the prisoner of war camp run by the Nazis. Oh, certainly not a pleasant experience for our king. But it happens to be surrounded by extraordinarily beautiful, if often wet and cold, the countryside, and is near, among other things, the lovely 13th century market town of Urgin. As befitting his former role as Prince of Wales, Charles has residence in Wales. In Llynwimbermould, near Midfay, a tiny village near the Brecon Beacons National Park, it's closed to the public, but visitors really yearning for royal expen- experiences can choose from two vacation cottages, North Range and West Range, available to rent on the property. Okay, so that was all for this tour of uh, London and beyond. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed these suggestions and stay tuned for the next episode. Will will be again on the crowning of King Charles, but on an FAQ to answer all the questions you have dared to ask about the coronation. So, this is the end of this episode. Thank you again for listening and for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, on the website, you can find the full transcript of the podcast in translation in Italian, if you enjoy my show, please e- subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss any other episode. And if you'd like to support me, please subscribe, leave a rating or review. And if you want, you can offer me a coffee on Coffee, a link in bio on my Instagram or on my website, thebritishwhisper.com. It would mean a lot to me to support my expenses for the podcast publishing and the newspaper subscription. To stay up to date with The British Whisper, you can follow me on Instagram and spread the word. You're also welcome to share any feedback, thoughts, or ideas by writing an email to the British Whisperer at write.me.com, and I hope you can take some valuable information from this episode and apply it to your English learning. For example, maybe let's have a look at a couple of things I said today, like to meddle in. Okay, that means to interfere in. Okay, so uh, we are not expected as royal members to meddle in unroyal matters. Okay, so. That means they don't interfere in them, okay? Don't meddle in their quarrel. You regretted to do it, okay? (laughs) Spill over. Well, it's figurative. To overflow, okay? So try not to let your personal problems spill over into your work life, okay? So probably the Harry and Meghan saga is spilling over a bit on the coronation day still, but everything will be all right, uh, dear listeners. So... Stay tuned for next episode and thank you again for listening. See you next week.